Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. They've got a caretaker manager. It never worked. So until they've got a permanent manager, whether it's Antonio Conte or not, everything, all the, all the threads are hanging and, and are, are very difficult to knit together. Hello and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined by The Athletic's James Moore and Tim Spears. Happy New Year, everybody! <laughs> That's how I want to start the podcast, but I'm afraid Tottenham Hotspur Football Club once again mean that my voice actually wants to go, Happy New Year, everybody. Um, not the best start of the years for Spurs, but it, you could argue that it, it's not the first game of a new year and a new process, but an inevitable conclusion of stuff that's been happening. Spurs lost 2-0 at home to Aston Villa, as you know. We'll be discussing on today's episode Spurs' fifth defeat of the campaign, Antonio Conte's um, fiery, shall we say, post-match comments and hits and misses from the club's recent signings. That 2-0 defeat means that Spurs have gone behind in 10 successive matches, seven of them in the Premier League, and it's the longest run of shipping two or more goals in league matches since November 1988. You were there, Tim, you were there. James, who wants to start? We'll we'll come on to Conte and what it all means and what it all means to people like me. Let's just talk about the game. Who wants to start? Tim? It was just it was just very it was very predictable for the first hour, but then that comeback that they've managed to muster, you know, and got themselves out of jail for a few sort of months in a row just was never there really. Um as soon as Kulisevsky wasn't in the team, I think we could, could we could sort of see what was coming. Um, after after ten minutes, you knew that Hill was was not necessarily going to be an adequate replacement, and there were just the usual mix of poor performances from certain individuals that you expected, and um, no coherent sort of game plan to trouble Villa. I thought Villa were very good for that for their part. They came with a game plan which worked very well. Yeah, we have to, that's fair enough to say, absolutely. Yeah. And then yeah, it got it got slightly toxic really the second half. Um, a couple of anti-Levy chance, which I, I wasn't expecting to hear, which are very interesting. Um, Conte got some stick for his strange substitutions and it was all pretty um, miserable, really. And yeah, a real shame because everybody goes into the new year with a sense of optimism and positivity. And that, I don't that, think that James Moore does. Um, I'll be absolutely... Uh, James, James, that was the professional view, the detached view, the careful view of the events. You're a Spurs fan. What did you make of You were there. Uh, I thought it was a bag of shit. Yeah, I, I, I mean, to echo what Tim said, they, they played for the full 90 minutes with absolutely no intensity. Like, regardless of uh, game state, our favourite f- uh, phrase. At 0-0 in the first five minutes, and 0-0 after 47 minutes, 1-0 down, 2-0 down, end of the game. I mean, they, they just played with absolutely no sense of urgency, absolutely no thrust, absolutely no... The sort of sense of determinism or whatever. It, it, it was just a complete like wet fish of a football match, wasn't it? There was just no rigidity from back to front. You know, from Larice's weird, weak kind of parry with the chest for the first goal through to 
I don't know. I, I can't even think of anything that happened Nothing at the end of the pitch because it was so little. <laughs> it was just absolute, absolute bobbins. And if you think, if you think about it, two 0 down. You know, that late in the game, in the last ten minutes of the game, it, it obviously all felt lost. But you kind of still expect there to be some spell of pressure. Spurs to have Villa at least a little bit worried of, of losing. More likely to go to see the game, be, wasn't it? Truthfully, yeah. And, and it was Spurs who were like having to throw bodies on the line to stop Villa scoring a third goal, and yeah, but couldn't couldn't get out of the final third. That they are in defensive third of the pitch. It was just terrible. And you know, as you say. It was history repeating itself other than the bit at the end where Spurs score the goals and get a result. And I think at half-time, I have to say, you know, the first half performance was bad. I don't care what Conte says. I don't care what anyone says. Um, but I came out, as the players kind of walked off the pitch, I was thinking, well, OK, look, we know they don't play well in the first half. They've stayed in the game. They've had more possession. They've not looked unduly troubled at the other end. So let's see. If we get a bit of performance in the second half, then maybe they're going to win this game. Maybe they're going to win this game quite comfortably. But, I mean... As we saw, things just got worse in the second half, and yeah, I, I, you know, there are so many issues there. But I am absolutely staggered. I tweeted this last night, and a lot of people replied to it. I'm absolutely staggered that people could possibly suggest that it had absolutely nothing to do with the manager. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. And uh, you described it as a bag of shit, and I've had a letter of complaint from the bag saying, "Oi, leave me out of this." Um, it was just shit, um, and I want to be optimistic. I'm an optimistic man by nature, and I don't want to be. I told you so. Because that, that is destructive, um, but uh, there comes every, everyone is different. We're all human beings. We have different resiliences. We have different expectations. We have different hopes and dreams for ourselves and for our football club. And there comes a moment where the for me, what has been a building crisis, uh, the road has finally hit the rubble. The rubber has hit the road. Whatever the phrase is, um, you can't have that. And what's worse is what's going on in the background. You can't have that while they're having a negotiation about extending contracts and um, giving people pay increases. And, of course, Tim, um, I think I, I spoke to you in the preparation for, for this podcast, the, I, 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 you know, the Enoch out people have got a point, um, but I'm not going to be – I'm not one myself. But they are starting to mobilize and organize. What you were surprised to hear, the anti-Levy chance and things, was actually becoming more organized. Um, lots of them follow me on Twitter – and I see what they're up to. And they were supposed to bring black balloons into the ground um, and banners and things. And it didn't quite have that level of organization, but it pr- pretty soon will. Um, and at the center of all this sits Antonio Conte, um, who is not helping himself. Well, he thinks he's helping himself, but he's not helping himself or the football club. And if another person turns around and says to me, ah, but he's a proven winner, I'm sorry, that's not the way sport works. You're a proven winner until Oliver McCall smacks you on the side of the head and you go down like a sack of spuds if you're Lennox Lewis. You're a proven winner until something happens. Um, unfortunately, everything that goes on in the, in, in the past is irrelevant in sport. It's nice to have, and it's great to have the VHS tapes of it or whatever it is you're storing it on these days, but it doesn't, it doesn't help today. Um, and things like, Tim, the selection. All right, he's got injury problems. Uh, we had a whole forward line out injured, if you like. There's no Mora, there's no Richarlison, and there's no Kuliszewski. Um, So he throws out Brian Hill, which who every one of us listening to this podcast knows he has absolutely no faith in. I thought he threw that kid under the bus. Um, why didn't they play three in midfield? Is Oliver Skip really gone that far backwards that they can't play, if he insists on playing three at the back, 5-3-2, f- uh, five, five, and leave Kane and Son to try and do something 
however Mourinho-like and magical up the front of the pitch. Um, the fact that he doesn't trust two of the right backs and the third one's had a bust up um, in training uh, that we read about, and yet we end up with all three of them playing in the end, not all on the pitch at the same time quite. I thought it was. I thought the selection was a mess even before they started. Tim, the selection was a mess, but the team that he put out should have produced far better than what they did. I mean, they had they had six shots. I was talking to uh, people who report on Villa before the game, and when the teams came out and Robin Olsen was in goal instead of Emmy Martinez, you know, there was a sort of a collective groan that he's their weak link. I think he concede he he concedes a goal every twenty three minutes. Someone was saying, and to not. He didn't produce a single meaningful save in that whole game. There was, the, I think, Spurs had two shots on target. One of which was was Kane's header, sort of cleared off the line by Ashley Young. Ashley Young, I mean, come on. Ashley Young is older than me, by the is way. Is that right? And look what you've achieved. I know exactly. <laughs> the the Hill thing was 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 strange, and and the subs were strange. I don't know why Skip didn't come on earlier, but the, but. The team that he put out should still be doing far better. Sure, the players have to take their responsibility too. That's fair. Okay. Just, just to chip in there, sorry, just, just chip in on starting lineup in mitigation. I, I think if Kulusevski pulled out of that game quite late, and I don't know if this is something that came up on match day or in training last week or whatever. I think it was because yeah, he he he, he, he turned. I think he turned up at the game pretty much expecting to to play. It was it was a, it was a late call. I, I can see why in that circumstance then why you would like leave the system the same and put Hill in rather than changing the whole team for that one thing right at the last minute. I, I can kind of see that. And I think in an ideal world, I, I would agree. Yeah, I'll, I yeah. could see that if I could see any hint of an organised way of playing, well, a pattern of playing true. in the Spurs team. I've been told by people who are at the very top of their profession, Charlie Eccleshare, um, Jack Pitbrook, um, I've been told that Spurs have a very distinct, and McConaughey has a very distinct pattern of play. I can't see it. I think it's a load of nonsense. I think they're just like every other team that slings out their 11 players and hope for the best. Now, they were playing some great football at the end of last season. Let's not kid ourselves. They were getting good results, scoring a lot of goals. But that's before the other coach said, ah, that's what they're going to do, is it? They get out their clipboard um, and their tough book and, and they make, the, they make their, their adjustments. And now Spurs, I, I agree. You have, if, you're, if you're playing brilliantly, you, you, you stick to your system. But there, there's no, I can't see any system. What is this system that I'm being told that they're doing? Is it that Matt Doherty is supposed to belt the ball to the far post and the left wing back, whoever that happens to be on the day, is supposed to head it in? Because I don't see it at all, I'll be honest with you. It's interesting you mentioned that specifically, because in the first half, that was pretty much their only like attacking outlet, like banging, banging balls over to Perisic on the left. And, I mean, if it wasn't great to watch and it wasn't really working, you can kind of see... The thinking there, you know, we know we know how good Perisic's is, uh, crossing is, and we know how good he is at attacking balls in the penalty area. So you kind of see the logic. But then you go one 0 down, and you put him kind of up front, kind of as a inside forward, and bring Sessegnon on, who we know can't deliver balls into the box, or or can't deliver balls into the box anywhere near as well as Perisic can. So the second they've gone behind, suddenly he's changed it and taking away what he presumably deemed a strength of that team that he'd picked. Yeah, the, 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 team, the team got worse as the game went on, I thought. The, the, the subs weakened them and, and made things more uh, confusing. And, and look, look, we know he didn't have much, to, if anything, really to pick from on the bench in terms of attacking players. It's fine. But as, as Tim says, you don't want to be weakening the team uh, with the changes you make. And, you know... But to end up with Perisic sort of playing up front, but not really. I mean, he I mean, barely touched the ball after that. I mean, you couldn't really tell like what he was meant to be doing, where he was meant to be playing, what the plan was there. It kind of looked like, and he is obviously a massively experienced player, looked like he didn't really know like what he was meant to be doing. He was barely involved in the game. Um, 
and, and you end up with this, you know, situation where Jed Spence is on at the end of the game for the last five minutes or, or three minutes. I think it was eighty-seven minutes he came on, which is a, which is a piss take, really, after everything that's happened to him. I think to chuck him on at that point in the game, playing out of position when he's already put Emerson Royale, the player who you know we know hasn't played especially well in that position over the course of the season. Well, that, that felt like a piss take as well, sending him on. I couldn't believe it when he started putting his shirt on. I was just wait, waiting for the reaction. Look, it's not like it's loads of options on the, on the bench and maybe he felt, you know, Doherty was knackered and he needed to make a change. But why not just give Spence, if you 2-0 down, 20 minutes to go or 15 minutes, whatever it was. Just give Spence a proper a proper run. And in, and in the 10 minutes that Spence had, three minutes on the pitch and seven minutes of added on time, he made... Three runs, not necessarily productively, but at least showed some energy and athletic prowess that had been entirely lacking from most of his teammates for the 90 minutes. Now, you could argue, uh, so what, Danny? Brian Hill runs around and he's clearly not ready for the Premier League. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Spence, uh, the manager, uh, you're right, it was a piss take to put him on, but at least he went on there and said, all right, then at least I'm on the pitch now and I'm going to run around in this shirt and try and make something happen. It's intent though, isn't it? And then I see Conte, this wasn't in the press conference that I was in, but I think he said to TV, oh, you know, we sort of lack lack creative players, okay, but we also lack players who who take opponents on. And I'm like, well, well Spence loves, loves to do that. So why on earth is he only getting two minutes? Like I say, a bit of a piss take at the end of the game. I mean, I don't think anybody was really that surprised to see what we saw yesterday. Spurs, I don't think have put in a... I, I haven't seen them put in a 90-minute performance since I... Started covering well, the club let, in let's September. not let's not let's not get into your contribution to this decline, um, though <laughs> evident though it is to all listening. No, but you know they, they, they've been playing poorly for a while, but they've got out of jail several times through 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 decent sort of passages of play. And to be fair, you know that they, they've they've shown good character um, in all those comebacks they had before the World Cup and at Brentford the other day. But we sort of we're looking at, at reasons as to why they weren't playing well every week and, and looking at the schedule and looking at injuries, but those excuses can't really be used anymore. I know they've got a couple of important players out, but that doesn't, that doesn't excuse having six shots against Aston Villa and producing that performance. I mean, you're right though. That, that team on paper, Rich Allison is a brilliant player and we saw that at the World Cup if we didn't necessarily see it that much at Spurs in the first three months of the season. You'd love to have that player as an option in your squad, obviously. Kulazewski, we know, said it a million times, is absolutely integral to the way this team plays. But he he is one player. Ben Tanker, obviously, again, absolutely brilliant, absolutely central to the way the team plays, and it's brilliant. But in reality, in terms of the starting lineup, you'd say that's maybe two players missing of your strongest eleven. Whether or not you know Conte maybe had Richarlison over Kulusevski before, fine, whatever. Two players. That team on paper, whatever you might think about Brian Hill, that is. If you look at the names on that team sheet, I don't think that's a bad team on paper. Are those eleven players, fourteen players, whatever it was that he eventually used? Are they better or worse than the fourteen players of Brentford? Are they better or worse than that team that ever that um, um, Aston Villa put out? And the answer is, on paper, they are better. So what is happening? Being out fought and out coached. You know, it, the question has to be asked. Which takes us. Look, I, we could go on and on about the game, but it's easy. It's easy not to because it was every other game the Spurs have played this season. There may be one or two exceptions. You'll help me with that. Um, except they didn't have some kind of fiery 20 minutes where um, you know their great centre-forward um, gets them out of trouble. Or Hoiberg does something you don't expect and scores a goal. Or Benton Kerr scores from midfield. The, for once, the end result totally matched the performance. 
Um, I would forgive them if if this was a one-off and you know had broken a pattern of good performances, which takes us. We have to inevitably go then to Antonio Conte. And uh, let me get you right: the players deserve criticism as well. Individually, collectively, they were no good the other day. But even that, in the end, the way professional football is set up, comes down to the coach. The team didn't try hard enough. That's a coaching issue. The team didn't look coherent. In the end, that's a coaching issue. And so we have Antonio Conte. Um, by his own admission, God's gift to but not just to football, but to uh, the football club. And afterwards, he came out defending himself, and there was a lot of it. Um, here's just a sample um, of what he was saying to the TV people. From the start of the season, I say that uh, we are creating, we are building, uh, we are trying to build solid, solid foundation. Because if we want, uh, I repeat, if we want to become a title contenders, if we want to try to win something, and uh, during the season, and uh, you need to have a solid foundation. Solid, fun solid foundation. It means that you need to have your team, your squad, 13, 14 players strong, and then every year. To put one, two players, and uh, but important players, and uh, to improve the quality, and uh, for this reason, it means to invest 60, 70, 80 millions. In this way, you improve the quality. And in this moment, we are uh, in a moment that uh, we have to create a solid foundation. We don't have a solid foundation. Tim, I know you went to um, a, a different version of the press conference because the, uh, the adoring journalists have to be shuffled in and out of the room. What did he say in front of you? He said, he said it, was a, it was a good performance. Um, he said the team showed desire from minute one. Tim, I'm sorry to, to interrupt. 90. I'm sorry to interrupt. Why? Why? How? What happens when he says it was a good performance? Surely you and your colleagues—and I'm, I'm not throwing you under the bus here—you say, "Sorry, mate. No, no, we're not fools. We're not bloody blind. That was not a good. Performance. Somebody must pipe up. Otherwise, it's just ridiculous." Well, it felt like he, I mean, certain press conferences he'll come in and out within two or three minutes, but this one was like ten, fifteen minutes or so, and if it felt like. He was coming out to defend himself and protect himself and shift the blame elsewhere, which of course is, is, is you know, what he does quite a lot. Um, he went bigger picture. He said last season was a miracle to finish top four, um, and to do so again this season will be much will be basically much harder. Uh, he said uh, it was crazy to read that Tottenham were title contenders in the summer. He says they're very far away from that. Uh, he says you need time, you need patience. I understand the fans are disappointed, but if you want the truth. I'll give you the truth. Sadly, he didn't add. You can't. You can't handle the truth, man. I was sort of uh -huh. expecting that. And he's basically saying, I, you know, I, I, I know the reality. I live this club every day. I know what the ambition is. They know my thoughts. It's a process. It's going to take time. You know, I, I understand all that, but I think this this contract issue is just is just coming to a head. You know, sooner rather than later, because if if, if supports think he's not hanging around until until next season, then you can't talk about a long-term project. Nor can, nor can you buy players that he might want. What he says about needing to build is, is true, but that can't be just about signing three £50 million players, especially at a club like Tottenham where they just don't have the money. I don't care what all of these people say. They can't endlessly spend players. And they spent a reasonable amount in the last few windows, or committed to spending, once they've bought Klizevsky or whatever. And as, and as Tim says, you can't talk about building when you are out of contract in four months' time, effectively five months' time. Like, like, what, what are you, what are you aiming to build if you won't sign a contract? No, never mind that, uh, that you know, 
why are you reading in these papers that Spurs are title contenders? Nobody believed that Spurs are title contenders. They had a good start to the season, but they're at least, I mean, obviously you've got to overcome Manchester City and Liverpool to be title contenders, and hats off to Arsenal, who seem to be doing that very thing. Take apart that piece of nonsense. We are we have arrived at the moment now, and I blame Daniel Levy. Hey, are Enoch out, people. I blame Daniel Levy who uh, for getting himself in a position it's an untenable managerial position. By managerial, I mean administrative across the whole club, where you have discussions about buying players to suit a particular manager when that manager is not committing himself to the club and clearly thinks that he's too good for the club. Um, I thought I, I thought it was miserable performance by the manager afterwards. Look, you may be unhappy and you may want to defend yourself. That's fine. But don't take down the football club with you because we'll be there long after you're gone. And I hope, you know, in, in my dreams, he signs for five years, builds a super team, Spurs win everything in front of them. But whether that's true or not, we'll still be there long after you have gone with your scowling on the sideline as though you know something more than we do about the way this team is trying to play or not to play. But what are they going to do, James? Because the politics of this... Look, all right, I believe... Antonio Conte has now completely overplayed his hand, and I, I would if and if Levy said you're not helping the football club, off you go. Either one, I don't have a don't believe don't don't get me wrong. I don't have an instant replacement in my head, um, but at least this this boil would be lanced. We had similar conversations to this about Jose Mourinho. The big difference was. When it was Jose Mourinho, he was on a contract that meant it was going to cost 15 million quid to sack him and all his staff. Whereas obviously with Conte, given he's out of contract at the end of the season, all right, he has about 800 staff members with him, so it will cost a bit to, would cost a bit to get rid of all of them. Relatively speaking, it's going to be quite cheap to, to get sure of him. Uh, and also now, there are you know people like Maurizio Pochettino and Thomas Tuchel out of work who they could pick up about having to pay. Luis Enrique, there's a whole uh, list uh, of people. Uh, whoever you want, right? So there are actually reasonable options available if they did want to do that. I'm not suggesting they should. My preference, despite everything I've said today, anything I've said on the podcast this season or after the bad performances of which there have been many, uh, would be for Conte to stay and sign a contract, and for the board to quote unquote back him and sign the players that we know they need to sign. No one disagrees that they need to sign players. They need at least one centre-back. They need a new goalkeeper. They need a right wing-back if they're going to persist with that system. They need at least one more attacking player. I don't think there's anyone who disagrees with that. But whatever you think of Conte, whatever you think of Levy, everyone agrees with that. It's not as binary as Levy is wrong or Conte is wrong. It's both. <laughs> the problems are down to both of them. And that should be entirely clear to everyone. I'm baffled that people see the need to pick sides. What I worry about is we're going to get this kind of unhappy compromise where over the next four weeks they'll sign players of a certain quality, not like elite players, but sort of jobbing players who will cost 30 million quid and kind of be okay, like maybe like a marginal upgrade at centre-back, a marginal upgrade at right wing-back, who aren't really going to be good enough to take the club much further. Tim, when you um, were given this beat um, of uh, when you were promoted to the very upper limits of British journalism when you become the Spurs correspondent of The Athletic. I know your heart was filled with joy. Um, you can't have expected you were going to walk into this, did you? I was expecting uh, more, certainly from Conte in terms of, you know, this this tactical genius and like you're saying, Danny, this, this, proven, this proven winner. I do find it uh, baffling that he doesn't seem to have what appear to be fairly basic solutions or at least 
or at least the ability to, to try something different. He just seems so sort of rigid in how he wants to set his team up and how they want to play. Um, and it's this, I mean, this thing about conceding the first goal for 10 games in a row is astonishing. And they just start the, they start games exactly the same way every, every single time. I just don't see anything different. It's, it's proper groundhog day stuff to the, to the point of fast, really. Um, and, the, the the players should be good enough, as we've said, and the managers should be good enough, as we've said. So there are deep issues there that um, some January bargains won't resolve. And I hope people don't get fixated on thinking that January is going to solve their issues because they won't. And Bentancur and Kulisevsky made such a difference last January, but we know that that's pretty unusual. Not because Spurs don't have the inability to go out and sign good players, but because you know that surely the chances of, of 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 a good club letting two good players go like that again must be pretty slim. Really, massive mistake from Juventus to do that. You know, is that going to happen again? So yeah, is it is it just as simple as changing the manager and Tuchel's out there and Pochettino's out there? You know, you need a long term vision and stability and stability here. That's not just going to be necessarily fixed by changing one guy for the other in, in the head coach. And there, there there is, and you know, we've mentioned this problem before. This is a football club who, whose fans, and I, I can't speak for the younger fans. I really can't. Um, they may all they may want is to win a trophy under any circumstance, and that's a perfectly acceptable point of view. But over the years, the fans, what they've really wanted is to see a team play some really um, dynamic front foot football with the with the possibility that might get you beat. And yet Spurs have now appointed three successive defensive coaches in succession, which hasn't suited the players they've got. Certainly doesn't suit the older generation of the fans in the ground, but on and on it goes. I'm going to ask you both a simple question. Will he still be there in three months' time? Tim? Maybe three months, yeah, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like this is... I, I, I don't see something long-term here. But that means he's... I mean, if he's there in three months, it means he signed a contract, doesn't he? Not, ne- not necessarily. You can't go on like this. Sure, I don't want to shout at you, but you can't go on like this. So, to me, to me, right, if he's not going to be there in, in seven months' time, so the start of August, so mm-hmm. just going into next season, then I don't think he should be there in one month's yeah. time. I guess That's January I will say a lot in terms of the business they do, but this... this, this horseplay about about a new contract n- n- needs to come to an end sooner rather than later like you say it's, it's not tenable it's easy, easy to say in hindsight after two sort of iffy performances and results but they obviously so obviously should have said during the world cup they're the six month window in the season where i think they needed to basically say we need to resolve this and this is how we're going to resolve it one way or another like, like i think it's mad to, to go into the second half of the season and to go into the last few months of his contract like this i just think he's been there over a year they haven't resolved that and that, that's not all on him you know that's on that's on Levy and the board and whatever as well, but for for them to be going into the like sleepwalking into the last few months of the season, we're potentially talking about having another managerial search in the summer without even having sacking him. He could just walk away and they're going to have to suddenly have to find a new manager. Uh, like by which point those managers we talked about who are available could all be, you know, lined up for other jobs or already in other jobs. Um, it, it is to me it's absolutely baffling. They've got a club the size of Tottenham. You know, Dan, Daniel Levy in the border positioned this club as one of the super clubs now. You know, they wanted to be in the Super League and whatever else. No other club of that stature would be in a position like no. this of a manager. And um, we can't force Antonio Conte to sign a contract, but neither can he force us to sit and kneel at the pedestal of his greatness um, indefinitely because it, it, that won't work out. Um, and we'll see what happens. We'll take a break. I have managed to get through this without actually blowing my top. And well done to you, James, as well, for so doing. Um, We'll have a break. When we come back, we'll talk about, it is January after all, the transfer window is open now. We'll talk about some of Spurs' transfer activity in recent times. 
um, as they try to negotiate a path where they're buying players without knowing who will be trying to coach and manage these players. I say, I think it's untenable, but you know that's where Spurs have got to, and that is down to Daniel Levy and, and, and the board because that is just mismanagement at a very, very critical point. Um, we'll talk about that very, very soon. You're listening to The View from the Lane. James Moore is here. Tim Spears is here. I'm Danny Kelly. And I will, at the end of the programme, wish you a happy new year in all sincerity, um, because this is not the way it was meant to be. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences, like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. James Moore and Tim Spears are here with us. Um, I think we'll uh, we'll have a shorter second half, shall we say. The, The transfer window is interesting, isn't it? Because The Athletic, for instance have analysed the transfer business of the top six over recent years, with some clubs obviously very much better than others. Um, looking at Spurs' incomings, and they were talking about players that cost £20 million or over since the summer of 19. So that's good. That's three years and uh, a cut-off point if you're not, you know, not talking about players you get for free and stuff. And it is amazing um, how m- few, you could argue, of Spurs' purchases have been uh, success. Let's start with the successes. Um, Richarlison is going to be a success, I suspect, as the most expensive of those players. Christian Romero is already a cult hero. If he doesn't behave like a maniac, as he was doing in the game um, against Aston Villa, I think he can go on to be an absolute hit. After that, and this is in terms of money spent. Tangay and Dombele, clearly disaster. Giovanni Lo Celso, um, God, I thought we could have done with him against Aston Villa, but you know, um, in that way, J- the, the the views of Jack Pitbrook are coming into focus here because Ndombele and Lo Celso couldn't have done any worse than the players that were out there. Um, Sergio Reguilón, um, again, he's, he played okay. He's not great. Um, Steven Bergvine, they're all not quite there, are they? Emerson Royal going down the list. 
Uh, Ryan Sessegnon. Um, I guess Basuma, the jury is still out on, though something, and it might, it might be the coach, has taken every bit of spark out of him. And then you've got just over the 20 million mark, Brian Hill. Now, that, of course, doesn't allow for Benton Kerr and Kulusevsky, um, one of whom costs less than 20 million and one of whom we haven't paid for yet. Overall, Tim, it strikes me that paying £20 million for players and hoping they're going to turn into Premier League players, top half Premier League players, may be under-investing. Um, I suspect you've got to be paying twice that much to be able to have a decent chance for some of these players. Yeah, and to be fair, that's that's something that Conte repeated yesterday, that they're going to have to spend 50, 60 million. I think he was talking about, you know, on individual players to bring in to bring in to, to a window. Yesterday's team cost 160 million. Um, which isn't really a lot by today's standards, you know, certainly with the teams that they're aspiring to to compete with. Um, is Richarlison here? I don't know who's I don't know who's who's decided who, who's who's Greek, but he hasn't scored in the Premier League yet. And um, you know, there are certainly no, just, uh, that was purely that was that was purely subjective. I just like it. Yeah, but you know, there's there's certainly a question mark over over where he fits in in the Spurs team and okay, whether so that just that just leaves Christian Romero then. <laughs> and given he's only played yeah, one and, ten and really doesn't play for Spurs, plays for Argentina. Um, yeah, so none of them. None did. of them, then. No, no. Yeah, I would definitely say jury, jury's out on Richarlison. James, is is there is there a fate? I mean, let's say Kulusevski and and Bentancur, and I understand that your injury has changed again now, your leg injury. So you're back into the Bentancur camp with your adductor muscle, is it? I, well, I mean, who knows? But I believe so. But I was at least at the game, so I, I mean, I don't know if that means my recovery was actually better than his. Okay, but this is not a. This is not a very good advertisement for Spurs' recruitment. Though, you know, and we have to be fair here, you are recruiting, as I always say, if you're in the Premier League, you are recruiting against 11 of the 20 richest clubs in the world. I mean, I think it does speak for what you were saying about that, that like sort of 20 to 30 million bracket being just probably not where you're going to find value. And we shouldn't forget, you know, you mentioned Kulazevsky and Bantenko, obviously, like if, if they were both on this graphic that we're all looking at, they would both be in green as hits as well. So they found one for fifteen million pounds and one they're about to pay for for forty million, whatever it was, Kulisevsky. So I mean I actually don't think the recruitment since Paratity has been at a club has been necessarily bad. Hill would probably be the one that you'd look at and say that just hasn't worked and doesn't look like it's gonna work. And Basuma obviously hasn't worked yet, but we know there's a proven Premier League player there. Just He's you know he's barely played a game. So actually, I would be more optimistic about Spurs recruitment now than I probably have been at any point in the last sort of decade or so. Purely because I just think we've seen now what both two did last January, which isn't to say I think they're going to pull that rabbit out of the hat as Tim put it again this month. Um, but clearly, there is whether it's Paratici or Conte or whoever else at the club or all the people involved in the scouting team. There are people there who are spotting good players. I guess. I guess if if you're looking at that list, you know you're, you're already seeing the work of what four head coaches there: Pochettino, Mourinho, Conte, and a little bit of Nuno. And I guess that comes back again to our point about you know having a long term vision aligned with a director of football and a head of recruitment. Um, and is chopping changing the manager going to necessarily help in that regard? The bigger discussion here is, is whether Conte is to be that man. But ideally. In a perfect world, you want Klopp or Guardiola to be there for a few years and, and actually have a vision that's aligned with the, per the person that's bringing the players in, right? Yeah, you, you know, everything is... is uh, at the moment, everything's unhinged because they don't have a permanent... They've got a caretaker manager. They're there. Oh, sorry, it's taken me a long time to drill down to that. They've got a caretaker manager. It never works. 
So until they've got a permanent manager, whether it's uh, Antonio Conte or not, um, you've got everything, all the, all the threads are hanging and, and are, are very difficult to knit together. Um, all of this, of course, is making me laugh because on the screen in front of me, I can see Serge Aurier scoring against Chelsea, um, probably better than any of the right backs we have at the club at the moment. Um, how many? Uh, and you, and you, I'll ask you, James, because you've got your finger on the pulse there. Assuming that the, 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 the contract talks don't come to a, a conclusion one way or another, um, I suppose it's going to bring in three, four players in January, do you think? I doubt it would be as many as three or four. I, 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 can, I can see what happened yesterday in the crowd moving the dial a little bit. I think there might be a little more urgency to placate people now. But yeah, I don't think you're going to see like a big overhaul in January. So I could see t- two players, l- like I was saying before, sort of an unhappy compromise. So they'll be kind of fine, but not amazing. And they'll kind of plug the gap for a couple of months and then it'll all go wrong in March. Well, wise and sage words there and predictions. Sorry, everybody, this has been like this. Um, I should make the point, of course, that Pat Jennings, um, Spurs' greatest ever goalkeeper, has received yet another honour from the British state. He's now the holder of the OBE, the MBE and the CBE. Uh, meanwhile, I, I, I wander the streets with not a single rosette um, from the King. I only mention this because so many Arsenal fans came back at me on Twitter and I was congratulating Pat and said, yeah, but he played for Arsenal and all the rest of it. Never forget that in 1986, when he went to the World Cup with Northern Ireland, um, and you have to be affiliated to a club, he was out of contract and had no club. Um, when he was asked to fill out the registrations form for the World Cup, where it said club, he wrote Tottenham Hotspur. Never forget that. He is Spurs through and through. Congratulations to Pat. And I guess not congratulations to you two, but thank you for getting through another rather grim version of The View from the Lane. Play some decent football, get a few results, and this tone will change. Um, and I'm not sure, incidentally, and everyone's entitled to their opinion, that just waving black balloons at Daniel Levy is going to achieve much. Um, but there is an ownership issue as well, I guess it's fair to say. Thank you all for listening to The View from the Lane. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, there's no excuse anymore because you can sign up to read all of the in-depth Spurs coverage this season, as well as the absolute torrent of other brilliant stuff, not just club-specific, just brilliant stuff uh, on The Athletic. You just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. You can sign up right now for £2 or $2 a month for the first 12 months. An astonishing bargain. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week back to our regular schedule of shows on Mondays and Thursdays. Thank you all for listening. Cheers for now. The Athletic.